Hey Maggie, you're in full mermaid attire I today. I am in full mermaid attire. Uh-huh. It's vacation. Vacation I'm, time. I'm glad I got a little pool out for you to, right. to, to slurp around in, in so there. keep my tail wet. I know. <laughs> so if you could just pour another bottle of vodka in here, I'd be great. It soaks in you, through my scales. It soaks in through the scales mm-hmm. and that about fish. Um, well, today we have a pretty exciting we have Charles Donlin here. Love Charles Donlin. And we're going to so talk glad he's about here to hang out. I know. We're going to talk about criticism writ large, like what is it about? And then we're going to talk the about the thread that ties us together. Future productions, future productions, recent productions. Recent productions. And uh, let's do it. All right, here we go. Anna. Maggie. I'm so excited. Guess why? What? We have Santa Barbara's Bruce Springsteen, Charles Donnellan, here on the pod. <laughs> I am very excited that Charles decided to come and visit us today because we have heavy things to talk about. That's right. And we need a little help lifting that. So, Charles, thank you for being here. How are you? How I'm is well. your summer? Thank you. Uh, my summer's been great, and I'm excited to be back on theatrics. There's a secret story that we have about the Charles Donnellan being on theatrics, which is that we did one last time and uh-huh. it was it was too just, good. It, it was, was too good, good to it was put too on good air. for the listeners. Yeah. We had to hide it away uh-huh. in a secret room where not right. even Nicolas Cage can find it. Right. And but this time we're making it to air. So and we have a question for all of us and and I think you guys are, are perfect to ask. What is the role of the critic in especially in a regional theater area like Santa Barbara's sort of what's what's the goal like why do we critique I mean I feel like you could ask each one of us could have a different answer to that yeah I mean I don't know start with Charles Mm -hmm. yeah you've been doing it the longest (sighs) wow I guess I have you're kind of you're kind of the ombre of the business well there's there's a lot of different ways to answer this question that's for sure um, the first thing that comes to mind in terms of the role mm-hmm. is the role you play in relation to people that you encounter either at the theater or elsewhere who ask you about it. Uh, and frequently the question, at least the implicit question, is who said you could do that? Why right. are you allowed to have right. an opinion that's... In the paper, what right. what are your qualifications? Mm-hmm. Is the classic uh, sort of uh, Santa Barbara person, and typically they do follow it up with at some point later in the evening they will say, you know, when I retire, I think it might be fun for me. Maybe I'll do that. Oh, mm-hmm. maybe you will. You no, know, because mm. it's it doesn't require any oh, particular for, skills. No, or, you just have to just, you just have to like just have or to not have like theater. The job. Oh, my God. And right. so that is actually when I'm really in kind of a pissy mood. The answer I give is I say I don't really have any qualifications <laughs> other than I have the job and I do it. Yeah. Those are my two qualifications. I'm the one who has the job and I write the reviews. Those are the two things yeah. that qualify me because that's kind of all that people are really ready for. Yeah, uh, most yeah, of the time, sure. especially if they're asking what qualifies you to do that, well, right. yeah, uh, you, they don't really want another answer. They just want to know that it's it's just a positional authority mm-hmm. that somebody granted to you and that you take advantage of. Um, mm-hmm. That is the the classic, uh, uh, you know, sort of uh, lowest common denominator opinion. What qualifications of what it is that we're doing? do you think that people are looking for when they ask? Like, do you think that you need like, like, what would even that be? Like, uh, you know, I guess it would be different for different people. Maybe yeah. some people would think that would be some kind of advanced degree. Other people might think it would be experience acting or directing in plays. Mm. Um, Which you have all of those, by the way. (laughs) So does everyone here. (laughs) But we all have all of that. Yeah, It doesn't always satisfy them in my experience. Oh, yeah. That doesn't always succeed. I think people, the same way they'll critique clothing design, I mean, uh, costume design, because Mm -hmm. they wear clothes. They, they, (laughs) it's like, that's not really what's happening here. Or they think the clothing, the costume designer is a seamstress or different, you know, different. Right. You know, it, it's not, but I feel what I, what, what I get is a kind of up, de- there's a kind of 
desire for me to be up or down about something. You know, mm-hmm. it's either uh-huh. like a green light or a red light. Yeah. And consumer reports. Can, come yeah. Out like, yeah. Exactly. Should, should I, I go this see or this? Should I yeah. spit it out? Yeah. Yeah. And, and should for I spend me that's, $30 on this ticket? Am me, I going to have a good time? Right. Yeah. right. Well, those are valid. Yeah. Is it worth my time? That is super valid. I think that's a valid question. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the role of the critic is to sort of help people guide where they're going to put their sure. money. Um, but, you know, that's never how I un- understand a theater performance. No. Or, or any kind of performance. If I can move in a different direction, I'll give you the real reasons that actually I think the particular role that I have is valuable or makes sense to people who do understand it. Because, you know, it's been all your time talking about things that, you know, you think are stupid. Um, Theaters need critics because they need records of what they produce that are not things that they produced in-house, that not, not something that they wrote. Right. And uh, that is not easy to come by in the days of no one paying theater critics mm-hmm. and newspapers cutting arts criticism. So uh, for the regional theaters that we service at the paper, um, it's a key part of the package that they present to their board and to their uh, patrons and to any granting institutions mm-hmm. that they mm-hmm. might have contact with. So there's value um, in the previews that we do, but there's also a really strict, specific value for these organizations in external criticism that people who are informed judge to be valid. Yeah, uh, They need that. Um, that's That's the obligation that I feel all the time in relation to the scene is that, you know, without a voice that's external and at least somewhat objective, there's no record of Mm. this activity. That's what's tough about the theater. You can hang on to programs, but you can't hang on to performances or productions. They're gone. And in terms of like the regional situation that we have here, like we're not getting a million and one top-notch, amazing, blow-your-mind shows, right? We get 30 shows a year from a variety of different levels and, (laughs) you know, professionalness that comes with it. But I find it that it's very important for me to really to have an opinion and a voice about, like, what if we're doing... You know, like we have experience with those all the time, like shows that come through. That's like, I don't even know why. Why are we doing this show? Like, why does anybody need to see this show? Mm -hmm. Why does anybody need to learn the roles that are part of this show? And it's kind of, I mean, when I find a show to be kind of offensive just because it is old and it is tired and it's representing social roles that are, we're ready to let go of. Like, we've been ready to let go of for so long and people just won't let it go. Like, I think it's important when somebody says that. Somebody who's not really, somebody who's just like, no, I think that. This show is old and tired, and it does nothing for anyone, so don't do it. Right. Yeah, I think I think the critic can really shape the the whole scope of what is possible. You know, because if 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 it's just a feedback loop between um, the audience, the audience has a kind of limited. Maybe they're subscribers; they only subscribe to that right. theater, or you know, they don't they don't see thirty shows a year, right? Right. So, I mean, they don't. Yeah. So. To, to put something out there, well, what if you did, th- I mean, what about, you know, to expand what's possible, just to push out the boundaries yeah, of, definitely. you know, what's possible and why this rather than this. But but I think so, a lot of directors and producers would say, well, no, that shouldn't, that really shouldn't be your job. Your job is to look at what the choices they made within the uh, pre- predetermined selection of this is the play, you know. I love the idea that um, what we're doing is articulating expectations that are larger than the individual show. Um, I like to think that my role in relation to the community, in addition to providing some record of what actually happened, you know, uh, another one of my pet peeves is people who disagree with the review and then they, they start their disagreement by saying, did you even go? Were you actually <laughs> yeah. there? That doesn't happen. That, that, oh, that happened. That's, that's great. I compare it, my, my analogy to that. It's like the guy who gets pulled over and he leans out the window and he says, have you been drinking, officer? Yeah. To start the conversation. It's got that incendiary quality yeah. uh-huh. of like yeah. starting at 11. Yeah. 
are you even there? Uh, people love that, though. They think they're funny when they say that. Uh, okay. But I do feel yeah. strongly that the, um, the most interesting stories that I'm trying to tell are about organizations and their missions mm. and whether they're fulfilling them. You know, yeah, it's, the, it's, it's the big question is, you know, this is what you set yourself up to be, whether that's a, uh, a college theater program, a university, yeah. BFA program, an uh, equity theater, whatever it is that you set yourself out to be, however it is that you frame your contribution to the, to the community, I'm interested in holding you accountable to that and, and, and comparing it to other organizations that make other kinds of claims and, and, and you know, kind of trying to keep aware that, first of all, you don't want to judge organizations for not being something they're not trying to be. That's mm-hmm, an important sure. mistake yeah. to avoid. Mm-hmm. But then also, you can't be just always on that very granular level of, you know, this show, this show, this show. Mm-hmm. You really want to be looking at seasons mm-hmm. and and getting a feeling for whether organizations are taking risks and moving forward. And, and you know, it's not like everything has to be risk-taking and progressive, but um, it's the nature of the theater that... of it should be, I there's think. There's some... Yeah. It, yeah. Otherwise, it's it's not um, it's not a living. It's it's more of like yeah, it's, it's a, like a museum. It's a museum piece. Yeah. Sorry, I, but you know, I don't know how how you guys feel in your writing process, but sometimes I feel like the shows I like the most and I would like to boost the most ardently are the hardest ones for me to write about because mm-hmm. oh, that's interesting. I I want I don't want to I want to provide a kind of an interpretive lens that's close to the one I discovered or found or sure developed and and that's what is so hard it uh, you know sometimes it w- when the frog dies you can pretty easily say well this is why the frog died I mean you know it was a blow to the head or whatever <laughs> you know you know what happened but sometimes the mystery is like how did this work so well I don't uh. I can't articulate it right now <laughs> See, that's funny because that, I, I feel almost the opposite. Oh, interesting. Because I really, I, I just, I really struggle with the bad reviews. Yeah. People, again, I guess I keep going back to how people perceive it versus what it's like to actually have to do it. And I think people perceive that as being really fun, you know? The, mm. the you Frank get to Ridge, shit on people. Rick, Rick Manuan. Yeah. That's so wow, cool of you and stuff like that. Amazing. But I have to work with these people year yeah. in and year out. Yeah, I mean, right? this is. Right. You know, they're in my phone <laughs> like i get like it's not like oh they read it's it's like oh you get a text like three days after the thing comes out like oh eh. and it's not just one person too it's not just the director <laughs> yeah. it's every single it's huge, person who worked on yeah. that show and in a town like santa barbara you're gonna know some of those oh, yeah. people most of them you're gonna know all of them they're all gonna be on your facebook so page. here's the thing you know what do you do you get to this place where you don't ever say anything negative i mean i remember i had a very uh revealing moment of eavesdropping once on the patio outside center stage and two people were waiting at the uh, box office and I was in the line behind them and one said to the other well he never writes anything negative he just likes everything that guy and I knew instantly you know who they were talking about (laughs) and the other person said oh no 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 you you don't know how to read him and Uh, the person said uh really and and she said well, yeah, I mean, if he just retells the plot, he didn't like it. And I was like, that's pretty good. That's, pretty, that's a pretty good read. Yeah. It's the decoder <laughs> ring right Was there. this me that we're, ta- that we're listening <laughs> to? Yeah, this is all <laughs> of us right here. Yeah, it was actually and you then, and me having this conversation. But it's just creepily standing behind us. It did push me happened. beyond retelling the plot in yeah. order to avoid <laughs> issuing a judgment. I actually now am self-conscious about that yeah. because that person pointed it out, not mm. to me, but in front of me. Sure. And That's, now I feel kind of like mm-hmm. if I didn't like something, I'd probably have an obligation to say that. Yeah. And but sometimes I just don't, I don't like things not because it's it's necessarily a problem. It's just like not my taste. And that's where I find mm. it the most right. difficult to write right. a review. Because I'm like, there wasn't anything wrong with it. Like on a technical level, on a storytelling level, like they did things in a way that was not offensive. It was fine. I just don't like this motherfucking play. Right. Like I don't know what, you know what I mean? Like it was fine. And so when I get to a point where I'm like, well, I just basically have to write what this thing is about. That's sort of my, like when I write, here's what the plot was about. Right. That, that's because I'm like, well, I, I've got nothing from it, but I I didn't there's nothing that I have to say that's of actual like use for anyone in terms of but critique. There like, is a there is a difference between things that aren't to your taste right. and things that are 
dysfunctional that are wrong. Right. And sure. I like to make that distinction because <laughs> it feels real to me. I mean, I suppose other people might question even that, you know, and say, well, it's all your taste mm-hmm. or you're so judgmental, I guess would be the other extreme, right? Yeah. Well, is it? That you're saying that things you don't like are just bad because they're wrong. I mean, as a historian, and I've read so many, you know, 19th century reviews and, and you know, kind of the history of reviews, it, you know, people's tastes are pretty arbitrary. <laughs> and, well, and yeah. I mean, they change. So it's not so much that, you know, Maggie is idiosyncratic or Charles has this particular taste. It's like the world we're in is pushing us to look at certain things and ignore other things. And... That's what we echo back to the readers as well, I think. There's a great, very eccentric reference book for classical music, uh, Nicholas Slonimsky, and it's called A Lexicon of Musical Invective. (laughs) And it is an alphabetically organized handbook of reviews of famous pieces of music that are wrong and horrible. (laughs) And it's hundreds of pages long. Yeah. I love that. It's awesome. People saying this Beethoven guy has yeah. no potential. Yes. All the noise. He has so much nothing noise. to say. Yeah. And it's just it's yeah. amazing. Or they hated Ghosts. After you know, yeah. Ghosts was a terrible play when it was right. produced. And yeah, I mean, it happens all the time. We just, um, but I, I think, okay, so what we all well, agree on there for, is. Okay, so here's, here's one. For instance, I feel like you guys liked Pemberley and I. Mm-hmm. wanted to stab myself in the face through that whole uh-huh. thing. Right. Anna's uh-huh. like, no, I didn't like Pemberley. How dare you? Um, no, I didn't see it. Oh, okay. Um, but but the uh, what was the one that they did the year the year later with the drag queen, the legend of I didn't see Georgia McBride? I loved yeah. that, but I feel like you were very, yeah. very lukewarm to cold on it. You know, it's an interesting... And that may be like a taste thing. I don't know. Mm-hmm. There's, there's yeah. actually another distinction that you're bringing up, which is really interesting, and I'll use uh, Georgia McBride as the example. Um, sometimes there's things in shows that are really fun Mm -hmm. and moment to moment the show is entertaining and and has qualities that are positive but then there are and they're typically for me often they're kind of like plot decisions they're 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 things that kind of are about how the thing resolves Mm -hmm. that I just I can't handle like (laughs) when you were saying you know, you wanted to stab yourself in the face. Oh, it's so I, boring. I get that sometimes <laughs> over what people, playwrights, think they can get away with in terms of the story, what the story is. And that was the problem I had with George McBride. Because mm-hmm. I was like, this, the central character of George McBride to me was a fantasy fiction that I could not buy. Hmm. He okay. was a guy who loved drag but was completely straight. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. I mean, there was no question about his sexuality. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, if that's not a reference point for you, then... If you're interested in exploring how someone develops through becoming a really spectacular drag queen, Mm -hmm. but you're going to insist on denying that person has any sexual orientation issue associated with that... Hmm. I think that's just that's a it, it feels like, like you're you're trying to be safe. To me. You're trying oh, to be. You see what I mean? It's, it's I just like I see. I see what you mean. I also feel like thing. maybe I do have a reference point for this, so I, I'm willing to believe it because I know people like yeah. it. like in my real life, you know. But but also I think that for me it's exactly what you're saying, which is for me like Pemberley. I was like, there's not really anything bad or wrong that's happening. There is just literally no joy on like it is so flat Mm -hmm. that they could be like doing naked boob space fighting and i would still be bored (laughs) right and i just like i feel like that's the worst sin of all is just to like make people sit through something for two hours that just goes nowhere so before we leave this topic this Mm. is my my question (laughs) just just give it to me in a sentence okay what Maggie, what keeps you writing theater criticism? Oh, okay, there you go. That's that's a good question because sometimes I literally don't know. No, I really I enjoy the process, and for for me, my main interest in it is 
uh, disseminating how people are telling stories. stories. Like, that's what I'm interested. Yeah. I'm interested in how the story is being told. And every little part of it, you know, is an aspect of that. Yeah. Uh, but that's where my just general artistic fascination lies. Yeah. So I like to see what works and what doesn't. And I like to talk about it. So yeah. I, I get joy out of the act of, of writing about it and thinking about it. So yeah. I guess yeah. it's selfish for me, really. Okay, go. And, oh, and no, Charles. don't say that. You're giving us your <laughs> yeah. thoughts and ideas and your experience. Sometimes I read a Maggie review and I was like, oh, that sounds really good. Here I thought I thought I was not going to like this show, but now I'm like really kind of want to see it. And that's 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 what always surprises me about a Maggie review is like oh. it gets me genuinely enthused. So I'm going to go all the way back around to how we started out with that whole, you know, what qualifies you thing. Nice. Um, and bring in something that you brought up, which was you said when you studied uh, theater in school, mm -hmm. you read criticism from other periods, 19th century oh, sure. critics and yeah. things like this. And um, the thing for me is I have always read criticism since I was a little kid, and most of it by, you know, just for practical reasons has to be of things that you're never going to see. And so, you know, I learned to really love reading reviews just for their own sake. Mm. So mm. I'm always trying to create something that's worth consuming, even if you're not going to see the show, even if you didn't see the show. Mm, sure, yeah. That's yeah. just informative and interesting and yeah. has value in its own right. So mm. number one, there's that, trying to create something that's worth reading, wow. uh, regardless of what the relationship is with the reader. But then uh, the other thing I think is really important is that criticism is, it's difficult. It requires practice. And really good critics are critics who have committed to it over time. Mm -hmm. The people whose work I go back to tend to be people who've been doing it for a long time. More than most things, I think it's one of these tipping point type activities where it's like, until you put in your, whatever it is, 10,000 hours, yeah. you're not really doing it but once you put in 10,000 hours you should probably keep doing it even if you know yeah, you're you, not you committed at that point yeah, it's, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's something that that grows with you if yeah. you stick with it yeah. I think that's the thing that keeps yeah. me doing it also I just would go to the theater anyway like I, I like oh, going yeah. to shows that I'm not writing about all the time yeah yeah definitely. that's always interesting definitely. It's yeah always interesting. For, it's for a different me, way of enjoying it for me because I can just relax and enjoy I mean it. for me I haven't really seen a play or a, any performance until I've at least talked to other people about what I saw you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's almost oh, yeah. like absolutely. Sure. I can watch a movie and never speak of it again. But uh, you know, theater, I, it, it's not done until it's been chewed over. Yeah. So, oh, definitely. Yeah. For me. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks. Well, wait, Anna. What about you? You also what? write the critique. Oh, why do I do it? I, why, Anna? I'm not tell terrible. me why. No. Um. Well, I guess that's that's it to kind of complete the circle, like so that I feel like, all right, I've thought this through to to the bottom, you know, uh, I, I, I digested it. Mm. I didn't just consume it. You know, I really <laughs> get it now. Yeah. I have to have that mm -hmm. or it's, it's less, it, it's like it didn't happen in a way. It's too ephemeral. Yeah. 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 Well, good job, you guys. Let's mm. keep doing it. Let's keep Let's writing. Let's keep at it. <laughs> and talking. <laughs> So right now is kind of the dead season in theater in general, but especially mm -hmm. in Santa Barbara, the universities are, gone, are out of season and, yes. the, then the and everything people else. Are people off. are on vacation. But yeah. in the last couple of months, there have been some shows that we've all seen. So let's yeah. talk about what's been going on. Well, Charles has seen some things in L.A., so let's hear about those. Sure. Um, yeah, that's what I like, actually, about the off season is it gives me a chance to uh, go down and try and see as many shows as I can in a, just a short period of time. Um, the first show I saw was Ladies by Kit Stein Kellner, which was at the Boston Court Theater in Pasadena. And I thought it was terrific. It's a historical drama about four women who are uh, part of the blue stocking movement in 19th century, or actually 18th century London. And one of them's a novelist. One of them is kind of a... Uh, Grand Hostess, uh, one of them is a painter, Angelica Kaufman, mm -hmm. and uh, one of them is a poet. And, you know, she takes some liberties with the actual historical circumstances, um, 
but she's very good about the characters and what she did, she did two things that I think were really brilliant in terms of the structure of the show that made it particularly compelling. First of all, these women are emotionally involved because they're proto-feminists. They don't know what to call themselves yet. Mm -hmm. uh, there is no feminism at this point. It hasn't been invented, but that's really what they are. They're a literary society of women who are supporting one another, doing things that men say they shouldn't or can't do. And so um, in the process of developing the play, Kit came up with uh, two ideas. One was that she inserted herself as a character, and that character is played by each of the actresses in turn, mm -hmm. and they embody her by pulling a very snazzy pair of kind of Warby Parker red <laughs> eyeglasses out of their costumes oh, and putting them on mm -hmm. and stepping forward and talking about the difficulty of bringing the piece to life and understanding these women's lives from the distance of, you know, 200 and 300 years. Um, but then the other thing that the show does really well is there's a lot of really intense costumes, but there's also, um, I don't know how to describe others. They, they take them off and put them on on stage in various different ways that are extremely important to the plot. Mm. Uh, and it was kind of funny because uh, I went to see friends in Echo Park on my way over and uh, they were like, oh, yeah, you're going to show. What do you see? And I said, it's called Ladies. And they were like, ooh. And I said, no, it's not that kind of thing. It's not like a strip show. And then I got there, and, and the first thing that happened is they all took their corsets <laughs> off. And I was like, so, okay. so I was, wrong. I was lying. <laughs> but I loved it. The writing is brilliant. And I really think this is an important play that should mm. go other places. It's got four amazing roles that can be played by women of any color and uh, yeah, that's, that's uh, any orientation. It's, uh, it's an LGBTQ play. But it's not completely that. And what it has that I think is particularly relevant right now is it has this heart that's about having an impulse that you can't name, wanting mm -hmm. to be part of something that hasn't codified yet. Yeah. It's about being a feminist but not having a word for it. Right. And I feel like that's a great, interesting topic for right now. So I love yeah. ladies. Awesome. Um, and I hope it gets done here. Yeah, yeah, that would cool. be great. I mean, yeah. Kit Kit is a local, a yeah. local girl. Oh, definitely. Who's been in LA for and a while. And I could see it also going bigger. Her. You know, I mean, uh, not that it wasn't a big production. Everyone, Equity Actors, the whole deal, uh, beautifully directed. But I think it could also, I mean, uh, throw I don't know Nicole Kidman and somebody else mm. in there, and it could open up Broadway for sure. Hmm. Wow. Oh, that's great. How long is it running? It ran for the month of June. Oh, okay. I think so it's, it's about a okay. one month run typically. Well, yeah, let's let's uh, let's get her up here. Well, let's put it let, on up here. Yeah. Let's hear from somebody else because I'll tell you more about. It. I saw a couple more shows in LA, but I don't want to be a uh, right. Here. Well, I just saw um, the Adams Family up in oh, yeah. Santa Maria, which is coming. It will come to Solvang mm -hmm. right soon, sure. and I don't know if you guys will catch it. When I have it comes some down affection here. for the Adams Family as a property, uh, meaning. Charles Adams and his yeah. cartoons. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, that was that but was one thing. I don't know about thing. the musical. I haven't seen the musical. It, well, that was one thing I really uh, noticed when I watched this this particular production was that the 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 way it's representing its world visually to us is fairly close to the cartoon. Hmm. Hmm. In in fact, I mean, I remember watching the television show. Um, you know, like when I'd be sick staying home from school or something would be on. Uh, and it, it, of course, it kind of picked up on some tropes that are introduced in that. Like, um, but, but visually, it kind of looked like a cartoon, like the way they realized the mansion hmm. and uh, the setting, the, the graveyard, and the way they would, were the way it was directed to include Uncle Fester, he would just be kind of sitting. They just would put him in really interesting places sitting. It was a really large man. I don't know if they added padding to him, but he was very mm. large. And and they would have him sit in different places mm. on the stage and kind of be a watching character. Yeah. Well, ev there's this whole chorus of ancestors who were sort of watching the whole action as ghosts, and sometimes they become... Fun. like helpers it was it was very cleverly uh directed and it used the scenic elements in such a clever way 
creating like a lot of vertical movement, a lot of dynamism and, and I, the acting was really, I mean, the production values were super and, and the acting was very good. So it I, I enjoyed good. it. Yeah. It was funny. Oh yeah. That sounds no. like it would be fun dark. to see. Dark, under it's the it's stars. dark comedy. Oh, nice. Okay. I saw it. I, their, their theater up there is indoor though. So I saw it with the help of, you know, some lighting shows sure, and sure. some things that they kind of oh, that sounds That sounds interesting. That sounds fun. That yeah, it's worth seeing for sure. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. What else has PCBA been up to? Um, I, let's circle I, back to the wolves, but right, there's been more be- <laughs> in the meantime. <laughs> I also saw a gentleman's guide to love and murder, which I had never seen before. Have you guys seen that anywhere no, I before? To see it. I missed it, but I yeah. no. It was fun and uh, very clever. Andrew Philpott p- played all, like all the characters right. in the. Love it's it. based on that um, kind hearts and coronets. Right. With Alec Guinness plays all the characters. You know, a suffragette. Right. Uh, a or it, they change that actually. The suffragette becomes a um, sort of a woman in, engaged in philanthropy, and he, and anyway, this this man for because seeking kind of revenge tries to kill off ev- everyone standing between him and the earldom, mm. and so there are like twelve people he has to murder, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and. You know, they're going in dark places with comedy up there at PCPA this summer. But but Charles and I both saw Million Dollar Quartet. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Charles, what, 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 uh, it's still playing, I think, until the 28th of, of July. Yeah. So, um, tell me your thoughts on that. I enjoyed it. Uh, I had seen a touring production at the Granada before, and I was very familiar with the facts that it's based on because I really love that music and there's also a terrific biography of Sam Phillips by Peter Guralnik, a kind of recent biography of Sam Phillips. I read this Sam Phillips biography two years ago. Can I ask you if if he was one of the co-authors of this musical as the book? Because the I, one of the writers was listed as someone who wrote about I don't Sun believe Records. so. No, it's probably a different person. Okay. A lot of people have told the story of Sun Records and Sam Phillips. And so um, here's what I thought. The, uh, the the plot was useful because otherwise it wouldn't have been a play. It would have been just a concert. Yeah. But it was also probably a wise decision that they made to truncate Act 2 in favor of what turns into, basically turns into a yeah, concert. it does. At about the halfway mark of the second act. Yeah. It's just like they say, okay, enough of the plot. Yeah. Everybody's going to start singing <laughs> right. hits. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. And I just love seeing, I mean, first of all, how can a show with a genuine Elvis impersonator go wrong? I mean, that's already a big leg up. Yeah. And sold. then throw in a Johnny Cash impersonator. Yeah. Oh, sold. And a Jerry Lee Lewis impersonator. Uh, okay. I mean, Not sold on he that, had a fine. lot of energy. That what man. did you think? That was He was the most interesting, and I could see him <laughs> being a divisive figure. <laughs> I <laughs> I think I was absolutely fascinated with him the entire night. I was like, what is happening he with his pants? He was the most interesting. He was the most interesting. <laughs> like, Not just for his pants, but I agree. No, he, yeah. well, he looked interesting. He yeah. moved, he was gymnastic. Who's and, the actor that plays? Oh, Do I'm not somebody we know. No. Rude, R-U-D-E. Yeah, but he was in the touring. You may have seen him because it seems like he was in the touring production of Million Dollar Quartet. Well, it's the kind of thing if you are a Jerry Lee Lewis impersonator, boy, are you excited with their doing Yeah, right. Right. You follow that thing around the country. Right. Not anymore, you don't. I think it's funny in his bio, it said he had also played Gaston in, you know, and I thought, yeah, that's, that's, that's who this guy is, Well, he's right? the young one, too. That's the yeah, other he reason is the young why one. he's compelling. He's younger even yeah. than Elvis. Even than Elvis, Which makes right. him, you know, interesting. Yeah. And I like the way that they incorporated the um, the, the woman, the made-up woman, Diane. Oh, yeah. Because that helped. You know, if you had had to listen to four dudes singing all night long, which is what actually happened, the famous historical right. night that they got together in the studio, yeah. it wouldn't have been as much fun. But they had a woman who could really sing... Fever and whatever else she did, oh, yeah. and, and she was great. She, she was good. You're right. That gave it a little. It's not uh, a traditional texture. show. Yeah, no. And it's not even a really a traditional jukebox show because it's got that impersonator element right. to it. Yeah. It's yeah. it's a very interesting. It's a property, I would call it. Yeah, because mm. because those figures, and you probably have a you know since you're have more background on them, that those figures are really people that live. 
in our minds visually as well as auditorily. Mm -hmm. So impersonating them becomes bigger than just this is the sound. This is Johnny Cash's voice. It's it's the whole picture. The Solvang audience was really turned on by that Johnny Cash guy. Yo, he was great. <laughs> I loved him. They were just so into it. Every time he stepped he, up to like, yeah, it was impressive. He was, he was good. Yeah. I, I mean, they were all really good. Or even, um, oh, what's the guy who's less, he's the guitar player. Carl Perkins. Perkins. Yeah. I thought that he was also the music director. He was. He yeah. Really, well, he has to be able to yeah. uh, keep the show going with that guitar. Right. And I like it's the kind of show they play their own that, instruments. That's the other thing that's, that's really nice. important to know. That yeah. I would recommend to people as like a fun night out kind of sure. a deal. Yeah, you know, you're not gonna see the light of you know, you're not gonna. No, that's like so I can take my dad and we'll have a good time. Yes, exactly. No. Yes, but it's not Chekhov. No, no, not Chekhov. No, a few things are. Yes, true. and that's probably okay. <laughs> that's okay. <too. laughs> uh, yeah, it ain't Shakespeare. <laughs> So what else did you see in the sort of going down the 101 towards the 405? Ah, yeah. Um, I'll tell you about one that I saw that I thought was exceptionally good, but that is definitely another, maybe not for everyone, I don't know. Um, Lucas Snaith is the guy who did Dollhouse Part Mm 2, and he's got this play about uh, Bill and Hillary Clinton that's been on Broadway for a while. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anyway, he might be the hottest playwright in the country right now. Um, and he has a very peculiar and intense sort of family story uh, about his mom. And so I saw this show called Dana H. It's essentially a one-woman show. There is another person who comes on but shouldn't have any lines, and it's a really interesting, you know, no intermission, straight through one-woman show because – Actually, the actress who does it doesn't have any lines either because the whole show is lip-synced. And it's lip-synced to tape recordings of Dana Nath, Lucas's mom, telling the story of when she was kidnapped by a member of the Aryan Brotherhood. Wow. And taken on the road and forced to become an accomplice to a prison gang hitman for five months in the late 1990s. Wow. It's all a true story. Wow. And what? <laughs> it's a pretty crazy story. You can only become a playwright after that, right? After that, uh, his, you know, family Oh, there's history. nothing else you can do. Yeah. You yeah, just say, yeah, you have so to. so heavy. Yeah. I don't yeah. think he knew entirely what was going on. And he, yeah. hired, he hired a friend of his to go and do the interview. So it's got the friend's voice on it. But the, the two key things to know, first of all, I wish I could remember the woman's name. She was terrific. And you just forgot she was lip syncing after a little while because wow. she was so mm. into it and so Love interesting it. in the way yes. she, she played it. But she barely moved. And the whole thing takes place wow. in a darkened motel room. Wow. And uh, ah. the only other character is the maid who comes in to change the sheets at one point. Um, we have to Les see this Waters, immediately. Les Waters, who is the guy who used to run... Um, the Humana Festival, oh, Wayville right. Actors mm-hmm. Theater. He directed it. And Ooh. I've got to say, it was one of the shows of maybe the past five years where I sat there and just thought, whoever directed this is a genius. I mean, I knew who it was, mm-hmm. but I kept saying, like, oh, my God, the direction. Oh, my God, the oh, direction. Okay. And it was so interesting because there's only one person on stage. Yeah. But she doesn't move. And yeah. I still was like, yeah, this is it so worked. good. Wow. This person is so on it. You wow. know? And that's kind of an interesting thing because – you think of directors as more like traffic cops and yeah. getting people on and off and mm-hmm, how do yeah. they interact. And, and so many people who think of themselves as directors spend all their time trying to get actors to be in front of each other. And this show had none of that. And yet it felt like a virtuoso turn wow. for that role. Wow. You know? So that was great. I really liked that show. That was back in June at the um, Kirk Douglas, you know, yeah. that theater in, yeah, in the Culver. Guy. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So that was another one I saw and I really liked. Yeah. And Charles. I think I saw the last LA performance of it. Oh, wow. Well, I hope I hope that one comes. It sounds like it will It'd come be out. Hard to do. Yeah, I don't know who. Oh, really? Who would do it? Who would that's do a, it here? Like, oh, who well, would? Here. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, who maybe. Who would do it that could do it justice? What about, I mean, yeah. What about the um, people that um, use unusual spaces to do things seems like elements. they might do. elements yeah, yeah. they're kind of they're not they're a thing anymore really no, not really kinda, oh okay right. that that would be who i would 
that, yes, of, of, the, the, of everyone that yeah. I know who would do it. Something hey, so, like that. So there's one more show um, that Charles and I both have seen how to succeed in business without oh, yeah. really trying. It runs again through this coming weekend. Right. And um, I have opinions that I that I think I voiced by just not going. So I'm going to let you guys yeah. take it on. Tell me what you thought other than the word that you used, which was long. It is a long show, and yes, it's a beast of a show. <laughs> it's um, got, uh, you know, cast of many and how many women? Set choice. What? How oh, many women? Oh, but really, how many women? Oh, how many, like, uh, well, that it. This Zero, is interesting. I was three, thinking about four. this. Three, four. When yeah. I when I when I thought about the the composer, I really like Guys and Dolls, and it has these very dated sexist tropes in it as mm-hmm. well. <laughs> yes, but I would like, say less so. I would well, say less, or more so, or something about the overtness makes yeah. it a little bit well, more that, palatable. I that, think that's interesting. Or, or like David said, I said, you know, they've got that song, "A Secretary Is Not a Toy," and oh. he said, "Wasn't that the premise of Mad Men?" <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Yeah." Uh, so mm. I don't know. Is it? Um, yeah, it. I I thought the acting was good the singing was good the choreography was good i just for for the story i don't think it can sustain three hours of stage time you know and i also just don't know um if if of of the kind of issues we could hit even with a musical or not issues is a dumb word it makes it sound like the newspaper but like just i just felt like it was a little bit in a glass, you know, behind glass, it was a little museum-y for as a as a show for me. Yeah, yeah, right. But I had a you know I had a you were there. A good time. I enjoyed it. I, w- I would keep it behind glass. Mm-hmm. I'm more comfortable with it. Maybe like sequestered, tinted, tinted glass. Because I just think it, it is such a relic of a bad time. You know, it doesn't make any sense to me to be reviving that show right now. First of all. You're going to City College Garvin Auditorium to see an entirely white cast portray a segregated environment Mm. where the premise is the sexual exploitation of women. That's the premise of the show. That's why the secretary is not a toy is the song that everyone remembers. And the reason that it's funny, (laughs) it's a funny song. The reason that it's funny is because no one's obeying that Commandment. Right. Everyone is breaking that rule, and it's broken all the way through the end. The happy resolution is the richest right. man takes the you know woman who's most promiscuous. I mean, it's gross, distasteful, that, the fact that distasteful. It's, it's the follow up to Greece, which is another super oh, yeah. super distasteful. No, I just feel just, I feel bad for the kids at that like school. A like blind spot. Yeah, they're like here, be actors. Right. We're gonna give you mm-hmm. one choice, and it's shitty. Yeah. Well, and luck. it's the kickoff for their season. They're Yay. saying, this is who we are. Right. We are starting our season. We always do it in the summer with a big musical. And two years running now, the musicals, I feel like they're just unfriendly to the current. Yeah. They're tone deaf to the point of being overtly offensive like, to, it's weird. like, to the point where people are like, really? Still? Right. Right. Yeah. I definitely Who's felt. Who's in charge? It's so interesting, Maggie, because I feel like, and, and Charles, I totally agree with everything you've just said. And I'm just fascinated by what is the wee bit of difference that, that makes, that, that makes us cringe at that where we can watch Mad Men and kind of go like, uh, I didn't love Mad Men myself, but that's not the point. <laughs> but I think you know, I cringed guys at Mad Men too. I cringed yeah. at Mad Men too, but I think that with Mad Men, they gave the, the, women, the women who are in it, they gave them characters. something to do. Yeah. Right. The women in the show have nothing to do. Except, well, the men, except the men play this have, like kind of gross. The men have very little to do too. I would say no too. one has anything to do. Stop doing this play. Well, I, I can think of. I mean, in trying to write about it, which was a challenge I bet. because I was not pleased. And <laughs> besides being long too, it's lumpy. I think the first act is almost twice as long as the second act. That's weird. That doesn't yeah. work for me at all. Uh-huh. Uh, but here, here's what I if if I were to go deep on on how to succeed. I would first of all point to uh, Zachary Thompson, who right. is in it, who plays yeah. the the butt role. You know the 
Brad <laughs> Stumpf or Trumpf or whatever his name is. The, yeah. The guy who's the nephew. Right. Who's the, and he plays him in this production totally over the top Nelly, you know. Yeah. Wailing, limp-wristed, racing right. around. Mm -hmm. right. And then the other big plot point that I think is interesting, if you really want to go back and think about this show rather than do it unthinkingly, which is, I think, the problem yeah. with this production. Absolutely. Because it was done without any thought about what this material means. Right. But if you go back and look at the material, the main character is also completely asexual or at least has, yeah. you know, they, they make jokes out of, you know, is he ever going to try to kiss the girl? Mm, and, right. you know, she's so subservient, but she can't figure him out. And if, if you wanted to say, well, this is a, a musical that's about, you know, homosocial relations. Yeah, it's yeah. about how men use women to bond, which is it is, and trade them as ways of expressing power and status, which it is. Um, then you've got these two characters, the the bad closeted character and the good closeted character. Yeah, yeah. And the, mm -hmm. the good closeted character is essentially the all-American boy as the all-American heel because he's a yeah. terrible person. He is. He is. I mean, the main character of that show he's is a manipulative, mm -hmm. horrible, uh, selfish and narcissist. And, yeah. Yeah. and this is bringing me back to the closing moments of the show, too, which was sort of he talks about ascending to the White House. So this kind of Machiavellian narcissist with no affect, like yeah. that you've talked about, <laughs> says like... It's too uh, real, Anna. I know, it was it's like... too real. Yeah. I think if you went back to, I think if you had, like, you know, anytime you're doing, you're reviving a show, a musical especially, but any show, you want to go back and look at production history. I think if you went back, I think that lead was miscast. I don't think mm. that if you went back and looked at, you know, Robert Morris or whoever played that right. role. Right, Robert and, Morris. Uh, 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 Matthew Broderick. You know, uh, took the... Harry took Potter. The, well, the really? thing is, is that yeah. it's not an all-American boy role. It's a it's a music man, slick bastard uh -huh. that should be playing that role because it's for somebody, you know, a, a Jack Lemon type. You know what yeah. I mean? Not um, this earnest young kid that they yeah. put in that spot in the show. And he did a terrific job, but it was meaningless because yeah. it didn't make sense in relation to the role. Right. You know? Yeah. And the, right. the one female character uh, that was played, you know, the, the promiscuous one. I mean, she's literally. Right. I think that should have been played by a drag queen. Hedy okay. LaRue. It's a drag queen. Name. It's a drag queen role. I don't know why it you is. wouldn't pick up that obvious, obvious a thing. A pretty good job of pushing it in that direction. <laughs> Yeah. I gotta say, she didn't. She, 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 didn't she was not back. lost on her. Oh, good. That it was a drag queen. Yeah, good. she thank did you. Not she understood that. Thank you, Mark. She and did. she worked she hard was to, fun. to, good. to good. realize um, that. But maybe it didn't if make it more it, maybe if anyone on stage looked like they were up up sending up the role that they were cast in, well, in Zach too. Zach. Um, yeah. It was it was them because they're she, they're she, both very good actors though. I mean, yeah, yeah. she took it smart. They're smart about their. Yeah, do. but Zach's character, right, really stuck out in a uh, almost in a in a odd way. I I don't think his you guys he's getting like he's in a different show. He's getting married and moving to Europe. He's leaving. What? We're losing another good yeah. actor. Well, it's too bad. It happens. It's really yeah. It's too bad. All right. Well, was, that yeah. And is that exactly. because of how to succeed? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah no, like, that was the nail in the coffin. He was like, I guess I'm just gonna mail it in and marry this attractive guy with a great life. That's I so cool. <laughs> Yay, I congratulations, up. Zach. We love you. Yeah, congratulations, He was Zach. fun. You know, and that's a, I feel bad for the people who are, you know, pouring their talent into yep. something that's kind of not working for them. Because that uh, Chiara Tolliver, who was Rosemary Pilkington, yeah. um, she's a good actress and a good yeah. singer, a really yeah. good singer. And, and that role is so annoying. Yeah. Yeah, it's just not there. Okay, well, that's how we feel. And, and Stop. I think we need a palate cleanser. We have okay. not yet talked about the wolves. I want right. one minute oh, we go back on to the, the wolves. wolves. Yes. Because that was we maybe the, the favorite Show thing the that I saw well, this year. I felt, I don't know how you guys felt when the women's, the United States women's oh, soccer team was, was playing, pretty but great. it really brought me right into everything I like about the wolves as a play. So for our listeners who may not have ever heard of the wolves before, it's uh, Sarah DeLapp's First play, Brat, she wrote, about, um, and it's about a 
team of young women who are on a soccer team and have been, most of them have been together for, for many years and we see them in successive. Yeah. It's uh, sort of a suburban situation. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, it's sort of about, uh, the, the, you know, female homosociality, you know, and how, how we kind of keep our pack in order or disorder or, Mm -hmm. but very modern, I think very modern in terms of like, I have had every one of those conversations in some iteration or another, and Mm -hmm. it felt real. It felt very real of, of the situation of people of a certain age, women of a certain age being competitive, but also being friendly. And also yeah, I, fe- I felt, I just felt like every character was, was its own story and they all fit together really well. Yeah. And for me, it was a meta commentary on women's teamwork in the face of sort of external threats, right. you know, of like of a society that wants us to atomize, you know, and see ourselves like in, in the way that this, this play we were just talking about, like in competition for, a, a high income male or whatever it is right and instead kind of resisting that and and finding each other was it was just cool yeah i mean i don't necessarily agree with the whole idea of the uh, whatever that test is the litmus test for whether or not it's a feminist thing is oh, like right, are the right. women talking about something other than men like i don't think they were ever talking no, about men ever feminism is not easy great right it's feminism not it's a, it's a flawed concept but this is one of those pieces that i was like yeah i didn't even and it didn't yeah. need it and i didn't want it i just wanted to know about these right. characters yeah it was very truthful to me it's not an experience that I see reflected on stage with any realism ever, right. pretty much. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. This is a good one to go back to the uh, earlier conversation we had about working as a critic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because, um, first of all, you know, where did I read a review of this show when it was in New York? Probably the New Yorker mm-hmm. or maybe the New York Times or wherever you can reliably find good reviews of interesting plays. And I thought, oh, God, I hope someone around here figures this out and does this show. And it took a year or a little more. But PCPA did it. It was also done in Pasadena. I actually talked to Sherry Steinkellner, who saw Mm -hmm. that one with Kit. And um, she said she would have liked to have seen it with students who were closer to the age Mm -hmm. uh, depicted. And I think that was actually one of the reasons why I thought it worked really well at PCPA. I mean, I thought the the direction was terrific. And I actually did a longer piece on it because I thought the the shift that it seems to represent to me in where theater is going, especially regional theater right now, was something that was worth, you know, putting on the cover of the independent. Yeah, absolutely. Wanted to tell that yeah, story. thank you for doing yeah. that, by the way. Um, yeah. So I went up there and I went to a great rehearsal and uh, it was really fun. And I used this to organize the piece because I got a really interesting um, kind of contrasting experience on the rehearsal day. Mm. And I'll just describe it very briefly. I went and for the first half an hour, I sat with Mark uh, Boer, who's the head of PCPA, and we watched the... Um, fight run through you know that they do before they were doing Shakespeare in Love was what was up at the time oh, right and so anytime they have a show that has uh, sword play they run it before every performance just to keep everyone fresh mm-hmm. because it's, it's dangerous otherwise yeah. Yeah. and so it was fun to watch and they're terrific and it was almost all guys I think the only female character in that <laughs> scene was dressed as a man <laughs> because <That's> right. <laughs> right, Shakespeare in love. So anyway, we sit there, we talk about PCPA and what it's all about and everything for, for half an hour while we watch men fight with swords. And then Mark says, okay, I'm going to go off to do my work. Um, and he says, you're going across the street. And I go across the street and I go into this room and there's no man there. And it's all women. And it's very fluid between when they're just stretching and, and, and getting mm. ready and warming up and when they're rehearsing, but then it becomes very intense and it's very clear that they're rehearsing, but then they pull back. And what I loved about that show is it really, like Maggie was saying, it just captured the way that young women speak when they don't think anyone's listening. Yeah. Uh, that was just so revealing, I thought. And accurate, you know, that's something I feel like I know a little bit about too from being a teacher. And uh, I just I really enjoyed the show, mm-hmm. both the experience of, of getting to know how it was being put together but also um, felt right, you know, it was just like, ah, thank you. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. the exact opposite of these shows that feel like they're 
blind to history or mm -hmm. out of touch. Yeah. It was a show that really felt like, I mean, and then the women's, U.S. women's team goes off and wins yeah. the World Cup and yep. great too. And it just, uh, it really came home to me. So, you know, I really thought maybe it's time to have a theater where activities other than fighting other men with swords <laughs> are what's considered to be interesting to put on stage besides people talking. This, you know, if you're going to have physical the, activity, yeah. maybe there's other things besides fighting with your sword, mm -hmm. which has been time honored. You know, I'll admit mm -hmm. that. It's and I'm a, well a I'm a fan of it. I like it too. Let but, the girls play. Definitely. Let the girls Let play. Let them kick a ball around. It's actually right. harder to keep a ball on a stage than yeah, it is right? to not hurt someone with your sword, I think. Also, I think right. let's just be real. All those little <laughs> runny, jumpy, sportsy things that they were doing, I was like, you're getting a full body cardio workout right. per show. Yeah, bonus. The funniest thing Who can do that? one of the girls say during the rehearsal was she said... Uh, Leave it to Sarah. Because they the one thing they all agreed on, I interviewed some of the actors too, and they're all students. And they said, uh, coolest thing about this play, they said, you really feel like you know this person who wrote it. Like, she yeah. said, you know, we talk about Sarah. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> wow. yeah. yeah that's interesting. And, and, and I heard one of them say, not the girl who told me we talk about Sarah, somebody else say, leave it to Sarah to have the scene where we eat be the scene before we have to do the hard cardio. <laughs> right. <laughs> She's like, ha, 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 ha. So more <laughs> plays like that, please. More plays like that, please. Yeah, Sarah Delap, keep going. Yeah, keep Somebody going. smart, bring it yeah, here. Yeah, keep writing. Yeah, let's get it. Oh, if yeah, that yeah. was the PCPA. first one, yeah. you Thank know. You, yeah, let's get a Sarah Delap, Kit Steinkelder. Yeah. Double team. bell. Yeah. Love it. Sounds Directed great. by Kate Berkshire. Well, great yeah. combo, you guys. Yeah. Thank you. Got a lot of that. Thank you. Well, we've had some interesting stuff that has been happening, but let's talk about what's coming up yeah, the horizon. as soon as we all get back from summer break. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you're excited, especially about Launchpad, so... I'm just excited about, like, a marathon of plays with Jason Bow in them. <laughs> oh, all right, so our listeners may not know um, who he is. Who, who <laughs> How to even begin. He's an actor. He's and, an actor recently he, in the UCSB BFA program. Yes. Graduate. Uh, just graduated, but he's older. You know, he's like yeah. a non-traditional student. Right. So he's like 40. <laughs> he's going to get mad at me for saying that. He's like in his early 30s. No. He, um, so yeah. he's going to be with Brian Harwell and um, your friend Joe Spano. Yes. And they're going to be doing the Three Sisters Bronte as part yes. of the Launchpad right. uh, program. And that's going to be the Friday after I get back from Cuba. So Which we be... all have marked in our calendar. Absolutely, as you should. <laughs> Duh. So that is non-traditional casting. If they're playing the three sisters, they're playing Bronte. the three sisters Bronte. Mm. Uh, you can, I don't know. I can see Brian Harwell as a Bronte sister. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, hundred um. <laughs> percent. So that'll be a reading that they're that they're okay. doing, and that's Arlene yeah. Hutton's play, and she's nice. a Nibrock woman. So okay, cool. that'll give you an idea of what that'll what look else like. She's done right. And then after that, in September, we have uh, the other three sisters play, the Chekhov play, uh, along with Midsummer, which is happening. Both are done by Lit Moon. Uh, one is uh, Midsummer is going to be in Ealings, and it's sort of like a walkabout production. Oh, like cool. you do a lot of wandering yeah. through the park and seeing the fairies. Uh huh. That's fun. So it'll be interesting. Yeah. Outside, I mean, we always have great weather um, in September. Yeah. You know, that'll be fun. Yeah. I mean, I love so that'll Lidmoon. that'll sort of kick off. Lidmoon's done some season. interesting things with space lately too, like um, some some intimate theaters. Mm -hmm, something mm -hmm. you know, they've been mixing that up. That's cool. Yeah. Three yeah. Sisters will be a center stage, but right, Three Sisters but, check off at center stage. Yeah, okay, but the other one. All right, Midsummer. Well, that'll that all sounds so that'll be fun. Really exciting. And yeah. and Charles, you're going to see something at Music Academy. Hear something. Yeah, the uh, opera this summer is a relatively new opera. Uh, it's called Cold Mountain. It's based on a Civil War novel from mm, mm -hmm. the late 90s of the last century, 1997, I believe. Charles Frazier, but the composer Jennifer Higdon is a really great, interesting, contemporary American composer. It's her first opera. James Dara is back to direct. He's a really great director. He's got Kate Bergstrom, who we know. Right. as his assistant director, nice. and he did that for a couple of reasons. I had uh, lunch with him on Monday, and uh, he did it so that he could leave and trust the person he was leaving oh. behind to run decent rehearsals. 
but he also did it so that she could connect him through On the Verge to local actors. Ah. And so, you know, in opera, they have this notion that, you know, you've got your cast and you've yeah. got your chorus, you've got the orchestra in the pit, but anybody else who's on stage is ordinarily called a supernumerary. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, James wanted, because this isn't that kind of an opera, it's a contemporary opera, it's not a old fashioned opera, even though it's set in, you know, 1865 or whatever. Right. Um, he wanted actors. So Kate has got Ali Tobes and Matt Tavianini and other people from her on the verge crew. Mm-hmm. Right. And they have been having, as what they say at least, a really interesting time working with these very talented young singers in tandem with a group, group of, of strong local actors because the singers are picking up things about how to create a character from the actors. Uh, I read the, the quite long <laughs> novel uh, in mm. prep for this, oh. and I've talked to the composer and a whole group of different people now about it, and uh, I think it has a lot of potential. Um, contemporary opera can be can be hard pull for people from the theater. You know, they don't necessarily um, feel comfortable there all the time. It's not exactly the kind of thing that works for everybody. Um, but it's great that the Music Academy is pushing in this direction and that they're not just doing traditional repertoire. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. should be fun. Yeah. And also, I really like it that there's this connection to the community through On the Verge. Yeah, that is cool. Very cool. It's a good story. And that's at the Granada. That is at the Granada, yeah. August 2nd and 4th, maybe? Friday and Sunday. Okay, very good. It's the other fiesta. The other fiesta. Yeah, well, that is the other thing that's sort of like the guerrilla theater fair Ooh, for yeah. the, that's coming up is fiesta. In fiesta, which, which is a, a roving, a roving, real-life performative experience. Mm-hmm. You yes. know, it was a theater production that touched off fiesta fever in really Santa and what's really bizarre about it is that it was a george kaufman comedy get out what a fantasy <laughs> what called <laughs> the beggar on horseback that was produced at the lobero and this is it's the craziest thing it's about this guy who he falls in love with a rich girl, but her father doesn't like him. And, and, and he, he, he does something crazy and he has a dream. And anyway, the point is that the the whole Spanish costume thing mm-hmm. is from a play about people, sophisticated people in New York, drinking cocktails and dressing up as fake Spanish <gasps> gauchos. So in a way, Fiesta is very authentic because yeah. – it was always about from the from the inception. It was always about it's just always theater. about yeah. rich yeah. people from the East Coast dressing up, <laughs> pretending and to be and drinking, pretending to be gauchos. And, it's so and, real. And they took the characters <laughs> off the stage, yeah. wow. and transferred. Yeah. You know, there's more to it. And I don't mean to run down Fiesta, which I think I just did. Yeah. I feel but, a little grosser but about the Fiesta on now. No, I feel better about it. <laughs> I actually, I really do. That's so cool. Yeah, it's an interesting yeah. little known. That is interesting. About Huh. All right. Yeah. Well, it popped out of the theater community, and then everything contagion. good does. Yeah, I know. And then it just got, and then it just got, woo, spiral was, down the the old tubes. So, yeah, an epidemic. So thanks <laughs> so much for for Cascarones. hanging out with us tonight. Yeah, Charles. thank you. It's always been fun. very always lovely to have you and to see you and talk to you and, and hear uh, your thoughts. And Maggie is going on vacation to become a mermaid, True. which is really happening. It's not at all it's performative not, uh, or theatrical. Fantastic. No, it's a it's a <laughs> real great. it's a real thing. It's a real thing. It's my new job. All right. Well, Anna, I shall now bid you adieu and hasta luego. I'm off to Tampa, St. Pete, to be a mermaid, and from there, flying to Havana. I can't believe it. You're not going to come back. I know. It's true. I'm, I'm very not. sad. We'll have to do this, um, you know, over over phones or something. From underwater. Yeah, yeah. Well, when I move into my new home in a beautiful two-bedroom cave in the Caribbean. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> make room for me there. Uh, and for, make me a pina colada while you're at it. Definitely. So. But we have to put them in, in the little screw on tops because otherwise Perfect. that just flow right out into Perfect. the seawater. Yeah, there's there's some definite like some perks, but also some things to get used to yeah, for laying underwater. <laughs> no place for days. Nowhere. We'll be just scanning the horizon for a production. <laughs> um, Why is there no opera down here? here? 
<laughs> so thanks to our producer, David Paris. And Miles Austin for our music. Wonderful music. And our guest, Charles Donlin. And follow us on all of the business. Yes. And I will see you when I return. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.